BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello there. What do you know? It's 2024. Happy New Year and welcome to the very first Bill Press Pod of 2024 which very appropriately is all about politics because huh, politics is going to dominate the news in 2024. We know that. And today's also very appropriately about Republican Party politics because the first big question in 2024 is whether Republicans will finally come to their senses and break with a big orange loser called Donald Trump. Will they, in other words, Heed the advice of a brave gaggle of Republicans like Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, Charlie Sykes, Bill Kristol, and Stuart Stevens, who are warning their fellow Republicans, if you stick with Trump, you're going to lose big time. Stuart Stevens, in fact, goes further, warning that a Trump reelect would mean the end of our democracy. He spells it all out in a new book with a chilling title, quote, The Conspiracy to End America, Five Ways My Old Party is Driving Our Democracy to Autocracy. And today, fasten your seatbelts, legendary Republican campaign manager Stuart Stevens brings that warning to the Bill Press Pod. Stuart, so good to talk to you again. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. Uh, Thanks for asking me, Bill. Great to be here, man. So, your new book, The Conspiracy to End America, Five Ways My Old Party is Driving Our Democracy to Autocracy. And you know, as you know, you're not the only one to warn about this sliding to autocracy. Robert Kagan, of course, did in the Washington Post right. a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Liz Cheney has, Heather Cox Richardson has. But there are some voices now on the other side who are saying, you guys are all exaggerating. This could never happen. This is just Donald Trump talking shit. And, you know, <laughs> our in, our institutions are strong enough that there's no threat about autocracy. Is it a real threat? Of course. Excuse me. Of course it's a real threat. You know, it, it, this is all playing out by a very predictable, unfortunate pattern. Um, that's always <laughs> when democracy slides into autocracy, it's not like the autocrats announce, hey, guys, look, we're ending this democracy thing. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> enough of that. You know, Vote for us so we can be autocrats and we're going to take all these freedoms away from you. I mean, it never works out that way. I mean, one of the traits is that they use the freedoms of a democracy to end democracy. So I think it's actually extraordinary that that sort of breadth of ideological spectrum that you, you know, we're talking mm-hmm. about here is uh, sounding an alarm. Well, it's, is Trump, uh, the, the things that he says, the actions that he thinks he, that he says he would do were he back in the white house, are, are they the principal things that you think are um, signs of this real threat? Well, we know that 
no any democratic movement when it gets in power becomes more democratic. It always goes the other way. What, what's amazing now is the degree to which they're being specific about what they want to do. Mm. Uh, they, they want to politicize you know, the military. They want to end the civil service. He has openly said that he intends to use the power of government to go after media that he thinks is unfriendly, which is a lot of media out there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Bill, I, I don't know where your passport is, but you might check on it. <laughs> you know, you can always come up to Vermont and we can smuggle you across the border. It's an uh, underground railroad. You, you may have to. <laughs> I'm sure you'll, you'll be high on the list. I, the specificity of it is just extraordinary. And I think it reflects a sort of arrogance because they so far have been able to get away with uh, everything that uh, happened on January 6th. Donald Trump is sure he's got 91 indictments, but each one seems to drive him up further in the polls. So I think he feels he's you know, polls latest numbers show that he's beating Biden. I think they feel pretty bulletproof. Mm -hmm. So in your book, you mention, uh, looking back at history, there are basically five building blocks, right, to get from democracy to autocracy. Prop here's what they need. Propagandists, a major party, financers, the money, legal theories to back them up, and then the shock troops, right? Yep. All, all five present and working Today, I mean, tell, tell us about that. Run yeah, I down. mean, you know, the one that really troubles me the most of those is the efforts to change the legal system. You know, it's, it's difficult to look at the Federalist Society and not say that it has been successful in what they wanted to accomplish. You know, the Federalist Society started at a nice little weekend retreat in 1984 at Yale with some benign <laughs> title like, you know, the future of the conservative judiciary. <laughs> And out of that, we now have um, a, a much different looking judiciary, particularly Supreme Court. The person who shepherded the uh, Federalist Society in its uh, heyday, and really when it began to become a very powerful force, Leonard Leo, uh, is now focused largely on changing uh, how we vote in the country. He is the recipient of $1.6 billion gift, the largest political donation in the history of the country. And as we speak, they're out there trying to do this. They do it under the radar. One of the former Trump lawyers, Clear Mitchell, is involved in this, leading efforts. And it's pretty uh, wide widespread and, and comprehensive. They're focusing on elected officials that, uh, Mm -hmm. control, control elections or govern elections like secretary of states, or in some cases, governors who appoint secretary of states, uh, precinct workers, the leg state legislatures. And I, I think it would be foolish to say that uh, odds are that they won't be as successful in a more rapid fashion than they were with the Federalist Society. Uh, and certainly there's no lack of propagandists, right, to spread uh, Trump's message. I mean, even though he's constantly attacking Fox News, they're still spreading the, the gospel. Right? And Fox really, you know, 
Fox is becoming the New York Times of the right wing. You know, it's, it's becoming so much worse. I mean, you have Elon Musk on Twitter or whatever you call it these days with uh, Alex Jones. I mean, it's just extraordinary what's happening. And that is a very powerful platform that really is becoming a platform for hate speech. And it is very widespread and it allows people who want to, they can live in a self-reinforcing universe in which obviously, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, Joe Biden is an illegal president. I mean, they all know that. And the only way that you can stop Donald Trump, who should be president, from rightfully becoming president again is to put him in jail. Hmm. Yeah. So that's, it's, it's crazy, but it's a unified theory of the universe. And uh, it's largely uh, one of the forces that is, is pushing Trump upward. You know, I have always tried not to go off the deep end and use the phrase Nazi or fascist or compare people to Hitler. In your book, though, uh, you, you don't call Trump the next Hitler, but you do say there are certain parallels with the way Hitler came to power and Trump remains so popular. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, look, I uh, understand there's sort of a, a, a truism that as soon as you talk about anything comparing it to World War II, yeah. that it reduces it to absurdity. I don't think that that's the case. I think it's very important to compare it to uh to Germany in the 30s and Europe in the 30s. It is the closest parallel to what is happening in the United States. Just on a personal level, Bill, I look at all these people I helped elect who, you know, good and decent people. They live next door. They'd be great neighbors. They'd stop on the road and help you with a flat tire. Uh, these are not monsters. And yet most of them are supporting Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And it is something I just never in a million years would have believed. Who are some of those people? Names oh, some names. Know, I, <laughs> I, I've tried to avoid. Uh, All right. Okay. Uh, avoid, but I, I'll talk about one because he talks about it. And that's my old client and friend, Chris Christie. Mm -hmm. I never would have believed that Chris Christie uh, would have endorsed Donald Trump. I, I can remember vividly. I was standing in the Atlanta airport and he was on television endorsing Trump in 2016 and tears came to my eyes. It was like mm. watching a friend overdose. And I, I think it is clear why he did it. Um, the sort of rationalizations. I think he's obviously out there now speaking from the heart and it's good that he is. And I think you have to meet people where they are and it's better that he's out there now. But if only he had held true. This yeah. is the same, the same with Nikki Haley, who wasn't a client of mine, but she supported Mitt Romney in 2012. I was around her a lot. And, you know, before the South Carolina primary in 2016, she endorsed Marco Rubio and held this scorching press conference where she said that Donald Trump was everything uh, she teaches her children not to be. And yet now she's on stage. She raises her hand and says that if that person is convicted of a felony, and basically the felony is trying to overthrow the government of the United States, she still will support him. I, I, what do you do with that? Why? I, why is that happening? So the comparison you're making is that there were good people in Germany at the time, too, who just said, well, you know, we don't really like Hitler, but. You know, we'll be able to control him. 
Exactly. Yeah. Right. You know, one of the one of the books that I discovered when I was writing <laughs> a, a book called "It Was All a Lie: How the Republican Party Became Donald Trump" were the memoirs of a Prussian aristocratic politician, Franz von Papen, and he was probably more responsible for anyone else in ushering Hitler into power. So he wrote a memoir in 1953. Now, 1953, you can say things oh, went, yeah. went, went a little sideways, <laughs> right? I mean, World War II, 100 million dead, the Holocaust. I mean, you know, hadn't quite worked out like they thought. And he was still trying to justify it. And there are passages in his memoir that are literally verbatim what Mitch McConnell said before Trump was elected. We will be able to control him. We're more powerful. We are the mainstream. He will change because we will change him and he will have to change to be effective. And it didn't work out in 1930s Germany and it didn't work out for Mitch McConnell. Right. And yet still Mitch McConnell won't even say Donald Trump's name. Think about how pathetic that is. You know, you, you, you've been in the United States Senate most of your life. You're not an unpowerful person. You really have nothing to fear from Donald Trump. He's insulted your wife repeatedly with racist comments, you're not going to run for election again, and you're still afraid to say Donald Trump's name. I mean, is that, is that an American? I, 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 just, I don't recognize that person. And it's, it's, a, it's a huge tragedy for the country. And every time the party has a chance to turn away from Trump, they go in the other direction faster. Well, that's that's what always comes to me. I mean, they have missed uh, the leaders of the party. It seems to me every opportunity to turn away to break from Trump. And uh, if there were, there's no greater opportunity or worse than January six, right? Kevin McCarthy, Lindsey Graham, Elon Stefanik. You mentioned them in the book. Right? She was a client. Yep. Yep. <laughs> they all they all blame Trump. Right, right away. This is it. Can't take any more. He's got everything, and then they they all turn around, and now they're all on on board the bandwagon again. As will Nikki Haley. She will be campaigning for Donald Trump. She's not going to win the nominee. I mean, yeah. you know, c call me crazy, but when you're 30 points behind in your home state, I don't think it's a really <laughs> really positive leading indicator. <laughs> and you know what's interesting when you look at Nikki Haley is. You know, she, if you look at the latest Monmouth poll, she's gone from 3% to 12%. Okay, you can say that's good. But at the same time, she's become much more unpopular. So with, with the electorate, Republican electorate at large, she had a 50 point to the good uh, ratio between her favorable, we call it, and unfavorable. Mm -hmm. Now it's down to 10 points. Hmm. So what's happening well, is, is she coalesces those <laughs> who don't want to vote for Donald Trump. The others don't like her. And it, it gives her sort of a ceiling. She can get, I don't know, maybe 10, 15% of the vote when the day is done. Maybe she'll win a primary. Maybe she'll win New Hampshire. But what's happening, she's not going to win the nomination. What's happening when you look at the polling, and if you go to Real Clear Politics and look at the average of the polling, which just really is stunning, is Donald Trump is, as a candidate, he is functioning not as a typical candidate for a nomination in a multi-candidate field. He's functioning as an incumbent president running in a primary. And yeah. it, the numbers, it is the most stable race. Six months ago, he, you think of everything that's happened the last six months, all the debates, 
over $100 million spent by these candidates. All the uh, events that they've had, none of it has mattered. Yeah, right. Trump is exactly where he was. Mm-hmm. If, not, if not higher, right? If not higher, yeah. And it, it look, you know, I, I said this in my first book, Trump didn't change the Republican Party, he revealed it. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know any other conclusion. Because you have alternatives against Donald Trump out there. You have Chris Christie out there. You had my another former client of mine, a wonderful guy, Asa Hutchinson. How'd he do? And yet the the market's not buying it. This isn't what the Republican Party wants. By the way, is there anybody, uh, have you seen, I guess, anything more pathetic than Kevin McCarthy? He, he, he again, turns around, gives back to Donald Trump, kisses the ring, goes the big, big trip to Mar-a-Lago, sticks by Donald Trump. And when Kevin McCarthy is in trouble, Trump does nothing to help him keep the speakership, right? Just, just lets him dangle. And now Kevin McCarthy has said he'd be willing to serve. He'd look forward to serving in the second Trump administration, right? As some cabinet member. I mean, yeah, I mean, Kevin McCarthy is, if, if you're raising children, hold up Kevin McCarthy is what you don't want them to become. You know, he's just the smallest of men and cares about nothing but himself and look, you know, look, I was a page in high school in Congress, and I learned pretty quick that, you know, this they weren't all wearing togas. This was not like a Socratic <laughs> gathering of human beings. Uh, you know, there's a lot of weirdos and dummies and, uh, you know, kind of odd characters. But still, they weren't in the, in, in, in the, the majority. There, was, there, were, there were people who had the ability to compromise. And had the ability to admit that they were wrong. And look, Kevin McCarthy, you know, if if Trotskyites were in power in the Republican Party, he he would be out there. He'd be a Trotskyite. He'd be storming the Winter Palace. He doesn't believe in anything. I mean, not at all. He's not an ideologue. He's just a a functioning bureaucrat. He's an apparatchik. Yeah. Hmm. And. You know, I mean, one of the reasons that the Republican Party has fallen in love with Putin is not just because Putin helped Donald Trump get elected, which, you know, we now know beyond the shadow of a doubt he did, and is supporting him again. And I'll just say, you know, I did a lot of things in politics, you know, but I never woke up in the morning and thought I was working on the same side as Vladimir Putin. I'll just say that, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I didn't cross that line. Right. Um, they look at Russia and they say, okay, this is a country run by white men. We like that. There's no women in power. This is a country that's run all by Christians, or so they think. If you think Vladimir Putin's a Christian, you're out of your mind. And, you know, there's so many Muslims in Russia. But anyway, that's what they think. There's obviously, as Vladimir Putin said before the Sochi Olympics, there are no gay people in Russia. Right? Uh, we know that. Right. Know that. that. Mm-hmm. And they have elections that are performative, uh, but but not uh, decisive. And they look at that and they go, you know, hey, that's that's pretty good. I mean, tell me that's not Ron DeSantis' vision of what he wants Florida to be. Sure, sure. So you you close one of the early chapters of the book where you say it is not too late to save democracy, but it is too late 
to pretend the danger is not real. Uh, that's a solid warning. My question to you is, is that ringing true with the American people? I mean, is that something that, uh, fascinating that, that warning? Yeah. Fascinating question. So, um, first of all, the answer is we don't know, um, right. to, be, to be honest. But if you look at 2022, I mean, there are some hopeful signs out there. I'm generally very depressing, but I'm not consistently depressing. <laughs> there are some hopeful signs out there. I thought uh, when the president went out and made efforts to put democracy on the ballot in 2022, that uh, the public responded. And I think it was one of the contributing factors to Democrats mm -hmm. doing much better in 2022. You know, a lot of people were saying, oh, it's got to be about inflation and gas prices. Democracy isn't something you can eat or fill your car with. It doesn't affect your wallet. People don't care. I, I don't agree with that. And the one thing I know about politics is if you're in a campaign and you want people to care about an issue, you have to care about that issue. Uh -huh. You have to make it important. I mean, yeah. I don't remember seeing national polls saying that the number one issue in 2007 was hope and change. You know, but a, 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 a guy near uh, Obama went out and made it an issue. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that the president sees this moment very clearly. and. I, I think that we have to continue to make it clear that this is a fundamental choice. And, you know, I, I still am working with the Lincoln Project, and we wake up every morning trying to do that. And another hopeful sign is to say, you know, Do, uh, Joe Biden's best group in the 20 election were those who are 25 years and younger. By, he won that group by 11 points, 11 points Yeah, you know, mm. for a guy who, you know, was a little bit older than them. <laughs> right. And uh, Donald Trump's best group, older voters, in many ways, Trump performs like a, a normal Republican candidate. His best group are those who make over $100,000 a year and are older. And, you know. Life insurance business tells us that older people die and you have a lot of younger people entering the system. And I think this is one of the reasons that Republicans and these autocratic movement is so frantic to change everything because they realize that there is a small window here between now, I would say, and 2032. If we still have a democracy in 2032, that's anything that we can recognize, I think we'll be out of the woods. Mm -hmm. wow. I just don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and of course, I guess the the other tr uh, hopeful sign uh, before we take a break here is that Donald Trump himself has said, Stuart, that he will only be a dictator on day one. On day one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> such a classic. <laughs> it has to be framed. When I, I, I don't even have to take a break. When I was growing up in Mississippi, the state tax collector was paid a percentage of the uh, bootlegging tax. There was a bootlegging tax. Whoa. And there was a candidate who they asked him how long he was running for it and said, how long uh, are you, you want to be in office? He says, I think it'll only take one term. So uh, that's, you kind of <laughs> give it to uh, a chance. You know, you get it done in the, you know, you get up, maybe you get up early that day. Maybe you get, you know, get to the office before noon for once. Right. Uh, Stuart, yeah. hold on there. Let's take, we've got lots more to talk about. Let's take a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod. Then we'll be right back. 
And today's podcast with Stuart Stevens brought to you by SAG AFTRA, my own union, lifetime member, now under President Fran Drescher. And we congratulate, um, I congratulate my brothers and sisters of SAG AFTRA for waging such a successful 118 days strike which ended up with a great new deal for actors, producers, and entertainers. They're now all back to work. Our favorite shows will be up in the new season, and Hollywood Studios will start sending out some great new releases, all thanks to that uh, work of uh, the leadership of sag After their, their strike turned out to be a win-win for America. Check out their website at sagaftra.org. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story... You're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at SCS. .georgetown.edu/podcast Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. And we're back on today's podcast with Stuart Stevens, uh, all-around good guy, one of the country's most successful political consultants and campaign managers for Republican candidates, I might add. You don't have to rub it in, Bill. You don't have to rub it in. <laughs> A founder of the Great Lincoln Project, which drove Donald Trump crazy during 2020, uh, and hopefully will do so again, and author of the new book, very powerful book, The Conspiracy to End America, Five Ways That My Old Party Is Driving Our Democracy to Autocracy. All right, we've talked a little bit about 2024, but here's the, here's the deal. Donald Trump, Iowa caucus is a little over a month away. Donald Trump yep. facing 91 felony counts, and he's 51 points ahead in the latest Iowa poll. Over, in, in, I mean, what, Stuart. Think about this. So, I mean, think about if you're running against Donald Trump in the primary, right? Yeah. Could you, could you be given a greater gift in the political universe than having an opponent that had 91 counts? Yeah. And yet they won't even talk about it on stage. <laughs> no. You know, Ron DeSantis goes, well, I think he's lost a little on his fastball. Yeah, how about the 91 counts, dude? I mean, you know, like, it is just so sad and pathetic. They, they're going to lose to Donald Trump because they won't go out there and run against Donald Trump. And, you know, it, it, it just... It is such a telling moment of where the party is. Yeah. And so do you think there's there's no stopping him in the Republican primary? No. Right now. There's no stopping yeah. him. Yeah. No. 
No. I mean, look, there's a chance that maybe he could be acquitted of some of these charges and go down in the polls, but probably that's not going to happen, you know. Yeah. It, uh, it, you, you, you've never seen such a – there's never been a open nomination in our lifetime that anyone has been this far ahead, this consistently across the board. So people say, well, you have to look at state polls. All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's 30 points ahead in Iowa. He's, you know, 40 points ahead in New Hampshire. And he's beating poor Nikki Haley uh, by something like 35, 40 points in her own home state. So, I mean, and DeSantis, I think it's 43 points behind in Florida. So where's it, where, you know, where, where if you're running against him, are you going to like, you know, what hill are you going to die on? Guam? <laughs> yeah. Puerto Rico? <laughs> you know, they, they have caucuses. Well- so yeah, he's going to win. I, you know, look, these things tend to not work out exactly like we think they are. You know, I was part of the brain trust for the Bush campaign in 2000 that we took a 60 something lead into New Hampshire and lost by 19. You know, you really. Have- <laughs> so I mean, look, there'll, there'll be probably a bump in the road here for Trump, if only because that it, it, it's hard to say exactly why, but except kind of always happens. But once you roll into Super Tuesday. And you have winner-take-all states. This thing is done. I mean, it's over. Mm. And mm-hmm. it, it, you know, which I think is good if you're if you're the Biden campaign and you're supporting Biden, yeah. which I am, because I think you want to get to the business of the general election very quickly. And I right. think that there's still a process of denial out there uh, with a lot of people. They can't really believe that Donald Trump is going to win this thing. You see that with the donor class, a lot of them who are trying to convince themselves that Nikki Haley could win now that Ron DeSantis has turned out to be, you know, such a terrible candidate. But, hey, you know, elections are about choices. And the sooner the Biden campaign can get about making this a choice and not a referendum on incumbent president, uh, the faster they're going to start to win this race. A lot of polls today show... um Trump either neck and neck with Biden or, in fact, beating Biden in uh, in, yeah. in a few swing states. Does that concern you? Do they mean anything this this far out? Well, yes is the first answer. You know, when, when, I, when I worked in campaigns, when people would say, are you worried about, I would just stop them there and go, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you're about to say, I'm worried about it. That's your job. That's, that's your, your job, job to worry about it everything. It doesn't matter. You know, the weather or, you know your turnout operation or your television advertising. I'm worried about all of it. You know, it's even more troubling than it looks um, because with the Electoral College, it's every reason to believe that Biden needs to win the popular vote by four points and able to win the Electoral College. Right. Yeah. So if you go into the election and you're tied and you're Joe Biden, that's Mm. not a good thing. I mean, you're probably going to lose. I, I, listen, I, I think that Polling today is is a very different creature than it was. I, I think a lot of what's happening now is an expression of feelings rather than an expression of ultimate intent. And a lot of what people are saying is they would like another choice. Well, I mean, look, this is America. The, the strongest word in advertising is still new. You know, when did they roll out new cars and go, you know, look, guys, 
Nothing's changed. It's just as good as last year. <laughs> Promise. You know? Not how it works. And it's not how, you know, the market works. I would fully expect Biden to be behind until the Democratic convention. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I have a lot of confidence in the Biden campaign. I think they ran a brilliant campaign in 2020. I think they, they don't get enough credit for this. I mean, from reinventing the convention to not taking the bait on Donald Trump. Um, and it, 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 it really, I think they had a very mature, patient campaign. And patience, I think, is one of the great undervalued aspects of politics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, think, I think he's going to be a, a lot better candidate than people think he is. And and Joe Biden beat Donald Trump once, and you think he can beat him well, again? Let's, yeah. So let's talk about that. So you know, one one level you can look at this pretty simply and go, well, all Biden has to do is get repeat customers. Mm-hmm. He won once. He won again. And how many people do you think are out there that voted for Biden in twenty and are now eager to vote for Trump in twenty four? I don't think very many. Right. And there are a lot of new voters who are entering the electorate. And the truism that you and I always knew when we were coming up in politics, that young people don't vote in large margins, is proven to be false. Okay. But, but here, 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 here's one problem, is they may be looking at somebody else. And as you and I are talking, and who knows who's going to be there around you know, six months from now, there are some other possibilities. There's Marianne Williamson. There's Dean Phillips. There's Cornell West. There's RFK Jr. And who the hell knows what the no labels people are going to come up? Is that also something you're worried about? I, I I cannot overstate the degree to which I worry about it. Really? Yeah. Look, I I think that what no labels is doing, I think is I think it's evil because you you can't look at at this. American electoral system and say that a third party candidate is going to get 270 electoral votes. It's just not going to happen. No, right. And you and me and probably everybody listening to this have one thing in common with Ross Perot. We haven't won an electoral college vote. <laughs> and he got and, 17% of the popular vote. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And was doing better than that for you know various points. So you're not going to get 270. Maybe you could stop another candidate like President Biden from getting 270. So then it's going to go to the House of Representatives. So you're saying, you know, the people who can't pick a speaker, I, I really would think they ought to pick the next president. You know, that's really, that's really smart. So uh, I think there's some good intentioned, well-intentioned people involved in no labels. But at this point, to look at this and to continue, I think it's evil. Because I think supporting Donald Trump is evil. And you know, if I ran the Democratic Party, I, I I don't understand the sort of tentativeness. I mean, I would wake up every day and I would say, we're right, they're wrong. There's more of us than they are of them. And I would try to get in a culture war every day because Democrats are winning the culture war. Yeah, right. You know, right. How'd, how'd that, you know, Donald Trump against Colin Kaepernick thing work out? Nike made $9 billion. <laughs> that's how it worked out. <laughs> and uh, that's one of the reasons younger voters are so much... Uh, uh, Trending toward Democrats, you know these these the bloody shirt that Republicans are out there waving in the cultural war. It's just it, it doesn't mean anything to them. 
Yeah. And they can't yeah. stop. Do- seems they can't stop doing it either. No. I mean, I think this this whole obsession about trans on the Republican side is really because a lot of Republicans never accepted same sex marriage. They just sort of shut up about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, your average 20 year old, I don't think he thinks about it. So let me ask you a couple of wrap up kind of questions here. First, Lincoln Project. Again, you guys did a great job in 2020. Give me some encouragement that the Lincoln Project is still out there, still strong as ever, and still plans to uh, stir up as much dust as you can in 2024. Well, you know, the, <laughs> if, you, if you look at last week, we made an ad uh, talking about uh, how you know physically and mentally we called it feeble. Donald Trump is, <laughs> and we we ran it around Mar-a-Lago. And sure enough, he saw it and he went crazy and started attacking the Lincoln Project. <laughs> and, you know, he is a, every time he's attacking the Lincoln Project, instead of attacking, you know, the Biden campaign, that's a good day. Absolutely. I mean, look, you know, I mean, we, look, we wouldn't vote for ourselves for president. I mean, he can attack us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you know, these people, they shouldn't be president. Go, you're damn right, we shouldn't. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> And I think that, look, this electorate is going to be decided by a very small number of voters. And the you know, right. we, call, we call them the Bannon line voters because in 2020, uh, Steve Bannon went out and said, if these guys in the Lincoln Project can get, you know, five to six percent of Republicans to vote for Biden, we're in real trouble. And I don't think the Lincoln Project remotely can take credit for the whole thing. But there were a lot of people who in that group, college educated Republicans, mostly who did vote for Biden in 20, and they have to mm-hmm. stay with them in 24. And these are voters that, as Republican consultants, we understand. These are yeah. the people yeah. in all these races. You know, when I did governor's races in Pennsylvania, Mississippi, Florida, uh, South Dakota, these are all voters that we studied, that we spoke to, that really we couldn't win a race without getting them to support our candidates. Mm-hmm. So, right. you know, I think if you came to the Lincoln Project and said, look, guys, we want you to specialize in turning on African-American votes. We go, well, no, that's not yeah. that's not our specialty. There's people that are a lot better than this. But I don't think there's anybody who understands this group of voters better than we do. And they are the ones in a handful of states who are going to decide the election. Right. And yeah. they are our focus. Uh, yeah. Good. Well, that 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 uh, I feel a lot better hearing that from you. So you and I talked before about uh, the Republican Party that you and I once knew, uh, and I worked for a couple of those Republicans. Whatever you it's all your fault, Bill. That's it. Fault. There you go. Will the will the GOP that we once knew ever rise again from the ashes? And if so, what will it take? Well, it depends on what we mean by that. I, I do not think that there's anything that can happen that the Republican Party, as it is currently constructed, will revert to some sense of normalcy. I mean, think about it. You know, it, it, it what more in life could trouble you and, and, and frighten you than someone organizing a mob to come into your workplace and try to kill you? So if you're still for that guy, what do you think? He's going to take some position on, like, you know, the capital gains tax that you think, oh, that's it. Well, that's too far. <laughs> The law of the sea treaty? No, no, no. We're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. So, no, This the party as it is now is lost. I mean, a party that doesn't have room for a Cheney, 
You, you can't save that party. All you can do is burn it to the ground. And now I think that there is a need for a center-right party that is sane, a governing party in America. And right now, there, if, if you held a gun to my head and said, tell me what an American conservative believes in, I'd say, like, look, just shoot. This is just going to save time. Like, but, yeah. no, what can you say? I mean, say what you will about Elizabeth Warren. She has a theory of government, and she can articulate it and defend it. And you can argue with her, and you can think she's wrong. You can think she's right. You can think, you know, she's sometimes right. You can't do that with anybody in the, in the Republican Party with any credibility. What are they? I mean, what? They're, they're, they're for reducing the deficit? Really? Trump raised it more than anybody. They're strong on foreign policy? Really? They're supporting Putin, and they're trying to cut off aid to Ukraine, which will be a cataclysmic disaster that will affect generations, absolute generations. So they don't, you know, look, they don't believe in the fundamental principle of democracy, which is that somebody has to be willing to lose. Without that, there's no democracy. So it's basically and, going to take cleaning house, I guess, is what you're saying. Huh? And I yeah. think that pain is the only teacher in politics, probably, or certainly the best teacher. So you have to defeat these people and you have mm -hmm. to defeat them again and again and again. And eventually enough of them are going to end up like Kevin McCarthy. You know, mm -hmm. Kevin McCarthy is going to end up like, you know, when you're, you're driving and you get lost and you end up by some obscure casino and there's a band <laughs> that's being advertised that you vaguely remember from the 80s and they're playing this casino. That's that's Kevin McCarthy. You know, he's going to be selling CDs out of a band of his greatest hits, you know, behind Walmart. <laughs> and you don't want to end up being that person. And um, that's that's what you need a lot of these people to lose. All right. Uh, Stuart, it's, I, I'm just so glad you're out there raising hell. We, we count on you and you're doing a great job at it. So keep it up. Hey friends, again, the name of the book, the conspiracy to end America five ways. My old party is driving our democracy to autocracy by Stuart Stevens. We'll have a link on uh, the episode notes of today's podcast. You can get your own copy. You will love it and laugh at out loud as much as I did. And Stuart, happy holidays to you. We'll catch up with you again early in 2024. How's that? Look forward to it, Bill. And that's a wrap with Stuart Stevens uh, and his warnings about the Republican Party, what it's trying to do for this to this to this country in 2024. A big thanks to Stuart Stevens. Thanks for all of you for joining us. Now, we'll be back on Friday for the first roundtable of the new year. Uh, oh, there'll be a lot to talk about. Congress is kind of limping back into town. The Iowa caucus is now only two weeks away. Um, will the Congress finally be able to come up with a deal to fund Ukraine and uh, the war in Israel? Uh, and how are Republicans going to handle this Biden impeachment circus that they've launched? All of that coming up on this week's Roundtable. We'll see you then. Meantime, have a great week and come back on Friday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. 
Auto Trader.